I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Michelle. I'm Kirsten, and it's my story time episode again. Woohoo! Today we're reading off the Let's Not Meet subreddit. Um, these are true stories that I found. Okay. Uh, so which makes which makes it even more worse. I think. Yeah, true <laughs> encounters. Okay. Yeah, they're true. It's some of these are really messed up. But at the end, we have a wholesome one. So just... Okay, cool. Good. I ended it with a wholesome story because I just thought, like, why not? We need that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this is multiple stories, so it's not just one long story, by the way. So don't worry about that. Um, But yeah, let's hop right into it. Also, um, if you want more content, go subscribe to our Patreon. We are going to be recording our mukbang after we record this, yep. which will already be out mm-hmm. when you're listening to this. True, so true. If you want to see that, go there. All right. Um, I think my idea for the mukbang today is that we're going to read some stuff off the Am I the Asshole subreddit and talk about it. Okay, cool. So if you guys want to um, see that, go subscribe to our Patreon. Okay. All right. Let's hop right into it. Let's go. So, the first story is by a hostile apostle. I like that name. Me too. And it is titled, Stocked? Stocked? Stocked. <laughs> Stalked? Why is that word so weird to me right now? <laughs> no, do you want me to restart? No, it's okay. okay. Stalked by a female solo camper for several days while on our mountain camping honeymoon. Okay. Let's, let's hop in. Okay. It was the summer of 2016 and I had just married my longtime girlfriend. Over the course of our 12-year relationship, we had traveled to the mountains several times in both summer and winter for camping, but also to stay in nice mountain hotels and snowboard the slopes. Naturally, we both agreed this was how we wanted to spend the first few weeks of our marriage. We booked a 20-day stay at a mountainside campground on the other side of the country. We also decided to bring our dogs with us, as they too love being outdoors, and we generally bring them camping anyways. After two days of road tripping, we had arrived, quickly set up, and settled in for a good long stay on the mountain. It was beautiful. A couple of days into our trip, and we had already met a bunch of fellow campers. We are very experienced campers, so we generally attract a lot of attention from novice campers, asking for tools or supplies as they see we are well set up. We are usually more than happy to help people get situated if they need matches, cream or sugar, or help setting up their equipment. It was day four or five when she first made her presence known to us. I will refer to this person as she or her as we never learned her name. We were sitting down under the shade of a large pine tree at the edge of our site, drinking beers and playing cards, when she seemingly appeared out of nowhere. She was just suddenly right there. Can I pet your dog? She said. Even my dogs didn't see her approach as the very sound of her voice triggered them into a startled frenzy. As the dogs were worked up already, I politely told her no. Then she just stood there, at the edge of our sight, 
didn't say a word, just stood there sort of existing, but not really doing anything. She wasn't exactly staring at us or looking at anything in particular. I asked her if she needed anything, and she said no. After a few minutes, she walked off. I work with people with brain injuries, so I've had my fair share of experiences with unusual behaviors, including people with poor social skills, so I wasn't about to write this person off as creepy just yet, but she had my attention. I casually watched her walk off and enter a campsite across the path and a few sites down from ours. There was already a small tent set up in the site, but she proceeded to pull an even smaller single-person tent from her backpack and began setting it up. The day prior, we saw two young girls set up the other tent and were clearly occupants of the site. There was no further interaction with her that day, although we did notice that the owners of the other tent on the site were not around at all that day, and we didn't see them return that night. Well, the next morning, I am walking to the camp showers to clean up for the day. As I walk past her site, I see she is sitting in her little tent reading a book. The door to the tent is open. I pay no attention and keep on my way to take my shower. When I'm done with my shower and walking back, I notice her tent is now closed, but it's jiggling about, so I know someone is in there. Then she made her presence known in a big way. Just as I am approaching her site on the way to mine, she unzips her tent and I immediately see that she is completely nude. She then positions herself just inside the tent at the door and lets out this over-the-top full-body stretch and held her arms way up the sk- in the sky while pushing her chest forward like it was some kind of mating ritual designed just for me. While she does this, she lets out what I can only describe as an exotic moan. Oh. It was pretty obvious she was putting on a show for me. I continue on my way to my site and tell my wife about the display I had just been witness to. We both laughed it off and moved on with our plans today hike a good trail to a waterfall. The trailhead for this hike was accessible from the campground, so we didn't have to drive to get there. We just walked the additional two kilometers to the trail. We walked at a good pace, so when we got to the trail, we decided to stop for a few minutes and take some photos of the surrounding mountains before heading into the thicker bush. After sitting for maybe five minutes while my wife is taking pictures, she emerges from the trail that leads towards the campground. At first I thought, okay, coincidence, she's staying here and this is a pretty common trail. But then she sees that I see her and she stops dead in her tracks and just stands there. Same demeanor as our first encounter. Just standing, not doing anything in particular, but also sending creep vibes our way. This was the first time I said to my wife, I think we have a stalker. Confused, my wife then looks to where I'm looking and is immediately a little creeped out. Once again, I think, whatever, maybe she's just hiking the trail. No big deal. So we continue on the trail at a good pace and she maintains a consistent distance behind us. Our dogs at this point are a little distracted by her, and our youngest dog keeps turning around to watch her. I got a little fed up with the dog, constantly stopping to look back, so I decided we will stop from some, for some water and let this woman pass. Well, what does she do but fucking stop walking when we stop, and once again, just stands there. The fuck? So now we are genuinely concerned because this is approaching horror slash suspense movie creep level 
and I start to wonder what this girl's intentions are. Standing motionless at that distance and refusing to pass us just ramped up the oh shit factor to about nine. So my wife and I agree to just give up and cut the hike short by taking the shorter loop, which was only another half kilometer ahead, and head back to our camp. We managed to get some distance between us by jogging every time we would make a turn and she was out of sight. We didn't see her again until later that night. Oh shit. That night, my wife decided to take an evening shower at the camp showers. When she returned to our camp, she tells me her stalker was in the bathrooms, also taking a shower. This time, however, she was with two other girls and appeared to be getting ready for a night at the club. There is a nearby ski town that has a few nightclubs and bars, so it was reasonable to see the girls getting ready for a night out. The two girls she was with were the two we saw previously set up at her site. My wife explains that she quickly picked up on the fact that the two girls and our stalker friend were not well known to each other. It was clear that the two girls were close friends with plans to go out partying and our stalker was making an attempt to be friends and sort of invited herself to join them in their night out. So we know the ski town well and the girls kept reinforcing that they were meeting at a specific restaurant before going to the bar. It was currently 10.30 p.m., and we know the restaurant they were telling her to go to was closed at 10 p.m. They were lying to her about their plans. The stalker kept asking them to, Are you sure this place? Are you sure? They convinced her, and she then left to her tent to finish getting ready, while the two friends stayed in the bathroom to finish their makeup. My wife went on to explain how after she left, the two friends were mocking and making fun of our stalker. They were young 20-somethings acting like little girls in elementary school. My wife has no time for that. Creepy stalker or not, she had to say something to the girls for their behavior. My wife calls them out on their behavior. Well, putting all the catty bitch bullying aside, the girls explained to my wife that the stalker girl had set up her tent on their site when they were staying with a friend in the ski town. When they returned, they found her living at their site without invitation. She had just taken it upon herself to take a little corner of their site without knowing them at all. The girls said they were upset with her and trying to make her feel uncomfortable so she would leave, but she wouldn't leave. Of course, my wife asked them why they didn't just report her to the park warden. The excuse they gave was that they were leaving the next day and didn't want to make a huge deal out of it. So, whatever happened between them and the fake late dinner plans and clubbing is unknown to us. About 3 a.m. that same night, we were all awoken to a blood-curdling scream right outside our camper. At first, I was like, holy shit, that must be a wild animal. My wife is trembling, dogs barking, and I am startled but curious. I peel back the window cover to see her, standing motionless on the path outside our trailer. I had the window cover down maybe 8 to 10 centimeters when she appears to make direct eye contact with me. My heart rate is jacked. What the actual fuck? After gazing in my general direction for what seemed like an eternity, she calmly turns around and walks to her tent. What the fuck? I go make sure our trailer is locked. After a good hour and a stiff whiskey, we manage to get back to sleep. What the fuck? Yeah. You freaked out. So the next day is a Friday. We have friends from a nearby major city coming up to the mountains to spend the weekend with us. 
We haven't seen them in a while, so we are excited for a couple days together. Well, they are not at her sight for 15 minutes, and as they are setting up their tent, she mysteriously appears out of nowhere, yet again. Like, bam, there she is, but now this time, she is actually in our sight. I hadn't had a chance to tell our friends about her before she arrived, so they were a little more friendly than I was. She asked me once again if she can pet my dog, who during all of this is barking at her. I think I said something like, she isn't being very friendly towards you right now, so I would prefer if you didn't. She didn't pet my dog, but she also just stood there, staring at me, like she was considering how she would dismember my limbs. She then notices our friend's tent brand, as he is still setting up and comments on how it's the same model as hers, although a larger sleeping capacity. My buddy has picked up on the creep vibes, and my general displeasure with her presence, so he just gives her the, oh yeah, cool, and keeps setting up. Well, she starts grabbing at the tent pegs and picks up the hammer and says she will help him set it up because she has experience with it. My buddy declines and asks for his tools back. Cue the fucking psychopath stare down, but this time she has a hammer in hand, adding to the oh shit factor. She literally just drops everything right there and runs off. I go on to explain the last few days to our friends, and they agree we need to keep an eye on her. So by this time, the two girlfriends whose site she had hijacked were packed up and gone. It's now Friday night and we've been drinking all day, so we're feeling pretty good. It's maybe about 11 o'clock p.m. when she walks over to our site again. She says, hey, you guys seem to have a lot of extra room with the tent and camper. Do you think I could stay with you guys tonight? We could have a lot of fun in there together. What? My buddy is feeling pretty good from all the day beers, so he's pretty forward when he replies. Did you just propose a gangbang to us? Now, this whole time, I'm just sitting in my camp chair with my whiskey, taking this all in. She wasn't really taking notice to me at all so far. Then she smiles, turns her head, and looks directly down at me and says, I like your friend. She then turns around and walks away into the darkness of the night towards the forest. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. We are all now terrified she's going to return. I decided right then and there, if we see her again in a creepy fashion, I am calling the park warden. This is getting silly. Well, the night is winding down, so we all decide to walk together to the bathrooms to clean up for bed. My wife pulls on my hoodie and says, Babe, look! I look over to see that the site she was set up on is completely destroyed. Shit everywhere. Just stuff. Garbage. Clothing. Food. Everywhere. I thought, okay, this is weird. Could have been a bear. No, we would have heard it. I then notice that the tent is gone. She is gone, and left the site a complete mess. As luck would have it, the park patrol was completing their fire rounds and were at the messed up site when we were returning from the bathrooms. We told them there was a girl staying on there who was acting erratic, and we suspected she was squatting on the site based on our conversation with the two girls from earlier in the week. We didn't see her again for the rest of our trip until the last full day. There is a great little lookout point not far from our site, which has amazing views of the river and valley below, and it was a perfect evening to see the sunset behind the mountains. It was a lovely final send-off to an otherwise beautiful honeymoon. 
Just when we thought we were done with her, she emerged once again from seemingly nowhere. We were sitting on a couple chairs that are bolted in place at the viewpoint, taking pictures of the valley below. As my wife is looking through the camera viewfinder, she picks up on a woman in the distance. She is standing in the woods a little ways down the mountain towards the valley, watching us. As her final act, she walked up the mountainside and sat right beside us on a boulder that was beside the chairs. She says nothing, just sits there. My wife has the brilliant idea of asking me to take one last picture of the scenery, and she gives me a little wink. I pick up on her idea right away, and I position myself so this woman is going to be in the picture. My wife wanted this lady's photo in the event something bad happens with her before we can leave the area. We took our final looks out at the beautiful scenery and headed to our camp for the night. We didn't see or hear from her again. Upon reflection, we agreed this woman had some serious mental health issues, obviously. She had zero social skills, and we did witness her attempt to make friends with those two girls that shafted her in a terrible way. That being said, she did things way beyond the realm of acceptable social awkwardness. There were moments I thought she would pull out a knife and kill us all where we stood. More than that, the stalking, the midnight screaming, and running off into the woods at night was terrifying to us, and I feel the story I feel a story worthy of this sub. I do have the photo on a thumb drive somewhere, and we'll see about uploading a pixelated photo if it's appropriate. To anyone else, the picture just looks like a person is sitting in the shot, but to us, it's a reminder of our wild adventure and start of our amazing marriage. To the honeymoon stalker, let's not meet ever again. That's fucked up. And then there is a link um, to the photo. If you want to look. Yeah, I'm about to click on it. That's her? Mm-hmm. She looks young. Mm-hmm. Like, probably our age. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I know, right? Weird. Just out there being creepy. That's mm-hmm. so creepy. Yeah. I would freak out. I would have left the first time that she's, I thought she seemed weird. I would have I confronted her. Would you have? <laughs> We're two totally different people. I would have left. I would have been like, okay. No, I would have. Can I pet com- your dog? No. And then just sits and stares at you. Uh, Bye, bitch. I mean, no, I would have been like, do we have a problem? Like, do you need something? Like, can you just leave? That's weird. That was good. Thanks. I'm going to get a drink of water. Okay. That was, that was good. I like that one. Thanks. I thought it was creepy. Yeah. It makes you feel uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. All right. Okay. The next story is a throwaway account. So it's throwaway dash x rack what does throwaway mean so basically they just use the account to post stories so you can't like find their real account okay so you can't like get information about them and stuff gotcha so it's just basically like here's my story yeah you don't know who it is yeah well i mean you don't really know who anyone is on reddit but you could find out you can't see any of their past posts obviously if they use a throwaway okay so okay the title of this one was or is I was kidnapped as a child. So, let's go. Let's go. I'm a girl. My mom was a horrible addict. She barely took care of me as a kid. At the time of this incident, I was around six or seven, so my awareness and understanding of things happening 
may not totally make much sense. This happened in the 90s. One night, my mother and I were on a car ride. I wasn't sure why we were driving, but it was late at night. I'm not sure what time it was, but I assume it was really late because there weren't many cars on the street and I was sleeping in the back seat. I don't even remember getting in the car. My mom drove up to some sketchy house and left me in the car for what felt like forever. Suddenly, the car door swung open and someone violently grabbed me by my arm and yanked me out of the car. I started screaming and crying until the man that grabbed me looked in my eyes and said, Be quiet and don't try to run or I'll kill you. He had a scruffy beard and looked like a madman. I was scared to death, so I listened. He held me tight by my arm, shut the car door, and walked with me down the street. I looked back at the house my mom was in, hoping that my mom would come out the last second and save me. I looked at the house as long as I could as the man dragged me further and further away. As we walked down the street, I wanted to cry, but I was in shock and in fear. I didn't know what to do. If I sniffed or cried, the man would tighten his grip and yell at me. I can't even explain how scared and confused I was. We walked for a little while and ended up in the projects. The projects were a bunch of buildings crammed together in a shitty neighborhood. We walked into one of the buildings and walked up a flight of stairs. My legs and feet hurt like hell, but I was too scared to stop moving or complain. We walked up another flight of stairs when I saw some random guy smoking a cigarette in the stairway. Then without warning, the guy that kidnapped me fell to the ground. It happened so fast. I didn't know how the kidnapper fell to the ground so fast, but the next thing I remember is the cigarette guy was punching and kicking the kidnapper in his head and face. The kidnapper was out cold. Cigarette guy picked up the kidnapper by his back by the back of his jacket and threw him down the stairs. You have no idea how scary and violent it is to see an unconscious man fall down the stairs. To this day, I still have a fear of falling downstairs. He bled everywhere. I still have no idea how cigarette guy knew to help me, but I'm glad he did. Maybe he could see tears in my eyes. Maybe he just picked up on something and had a bad vibe. But he acted instantly. The first second he could, he attacked my would-be kidnapper. Cigarette guy starts pacing back and forth and swearing at himself, gritting his teeth and clenching his fist. I thought he was mad at me, so I started to cry. He looked at me and said, Okay, 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 okay. Shut up, shut up. He had an attitude, so I listened to him out of fear. I wasn't as scared of cigarette guy as much as the bearded guy, but I was still in fear of him. He started to ask me questions with an attitude. Why are you out this late? Where are your parents? Why would you talk to strangers? I was in so much shock and confusion, I couldn't answer the man's questions properly. He asked if I knew my way home, and I told him I didn't. I told him a broken story about what happened, and somehow, with the information I gave him, he knew where my mom's car was. The only thing I remember about the road is passing a house with Christmas lights on it, despite Christmas already being over. I think he knew the area well enough and figured out where I needed to go from that information, but honestly, I don't even remember telling him about the Christmas lights. Anyways, he told me he would take me back if I promised over and over that I wouldn't tell the police that I saw him or anyone that looked like him and made me promise that I wouldn't go to the police and tell them anything. He had an attitude. I didn't care what he asked me. I just wanted to go back to my mom, so I agreed. I followed him down the stairs. The bearded guy was still laying on the ground, bleeding at the bottom of the stairs. 
that cigarette guy threw him down. He wasn't moving at all. For all I know, he was dead, and I hope now that he was. Cigarette guy stepped over the bearded guy, and I followed. We walked outside, and cigarette guy looked around, panicky. I remember him telling me, the police don't like me. We walked out of the projects, and my feet still hurt. Cigarette guy was walking fast in a panic, and I had to basically jog to keep up with him. I started crying, and he asked what was wrong. I told him my feet hurt, and I remember him sucking his teeth and picking me up with an attitude. He awkwardly cradled me in both arms. He walked down the road for a moment. Then I remember him swearing and running behind a house or a building. A cop car was driving down the road. He put me down and told me to run to the police car. I tried to run, but my legs could barely move, and I was scared. The cop car kept driving and rode away without seeing me before I could even get remotely close to it. He kept swearing to himself as he picked me up again and ran down the street. He took me behind a lot of houses and hid from every cop car that drove by. I assume now that the police were looking for me. He carried me in both arms, running fast down the road when I saw my mom at her car in the distance. She was surrounded by police. Cigarette guy put me down and told me to run to the police. I got so excited the pain in my legs disappeared. He put me down and ran away. I ran towards the police and my mom. My mom picked me up and hugged me tight. The police started to ask me and my mom questions. I don't remember too much about their questions, but I remember my mom telling the police some convoluted story that didn't make any sense. She basically told me to not say anything, and I didn't say much, but cried a whole bunch. We went home. Days later, my dad picked me up and knew something was wrong. I told him everything. I never lived with my mom again. When I grew up and had time to think about that day, I never forgave my mother. Not too long ago, I asked my dad what he remembers about the situation, and he told me what he thinks happened from what I explained to him from years ago. He said my mom was on a drug binge, I got kidnapped, someone saved me, but the person that saved me had warrants and wasn't mad at me, he was just frustrated with the situation that he had to deal with. Imagine being a criminal on the run, and now you have a kidnapped girl with you, and you just beat a guy up half to death. If he would have gotten caught with me, he would be in jail for my kidnapping. With my mom lying and me being in shock and confused, I wouldn't be able to tell them that the man helped me, because while it was all happening, I didn't even notice he was helping me. To the man that saved me, thanks. To the man that tried to kidnap me, let's not meet. Dang. Um, also, there's a few updates. She found Cigarette Guy, and they actually, like, video chatted and talked to each other and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Really wholesome into the that story. wholesome. Yeah. Okay, this one is super long, so just be prepared. This one's, like, the longest one. Okay. But I just wanted to put, like... Oh, wait. Is this the one? Oh, no, it's not this one. It's the next one that's super long. My bad. Okay. So this one's kind of, like, medium length, and then the next one is very long, so just be prepared. Okay. Okay, so the next story is by LNM Throwaway 9 another throwaway account. Okay. And the title is, My Friend Went Crazy. Later found out she sent a guy 65,000 texts after one date and broke into his house. What the fuck? Yeah. If you ever did that? I wouldn't, so. Bruh. We'd have issues. <laughs> yeah, we we'd would too problems. if you ever did I'd that. I'd be like, you need your fucking shit together. <laughs> I probably would need help. <laughs> All right. 
I have reached out to the mods with evidence to verify this story. I just have to send them this link after posting, so it may take a little bit to get verified. I'm noting this because I know this story seems completely ridiculous, but the girl I experienced this with is actually insane. Also using a throwaway because I don't want people trying to figure out who I am. A lot of people may have heard about this girl. She was all over the news after she stalked a guy, bombarded him with 65,000 texts, and broke into his house all over one date. We met shortly after she went on that date with him, and we were friends for a while before she broke into his house. Weird, right? Weird. At first, she seemed like a nice, albeit quirky person. I met her when, a, when I spent a couple months visiting the west coast of the U.S. in summer 2017. I thought she was cute, and we spent a lot of time together. We were living next door to each other for a few weeks, and we were never really more than friends. I stopped having any sort of non-platonic feelings after she started to talk a lot about a guy she had met on some dating website. Apparently, he was her soulmate, and she had somehow been guided to him by following her birth calendar. I would only later come to know that they had only been on one date, and he never spoke to her again. I thought that was weird, but I enjoyed our conversations for the most part, and she was funny and nice, so we remained friends. Eventually, she moved on to short flings with a guy and then another girl from Tinder, all, while, all the while still talking to me about this guy that she was going to marry, saying that she liked how jealous he got when she would tell him about hooking up with other people. A couple of weeks later, she started to get really erratic. I confronted her a few times about how she was acting, and she told me that she had recently stopped taking her meds but would start taking them again. She came home one day and decided to tell me that she had a court date coming up for a DUI. I have no idea if this is actually true, but if there's a way to find that out, it happened in Arizona and her name is pretty easy to find, so someone could look it up if they wanted to know. Her plan was instead to leave the country and go to South America. I told her what a dumb idea that was, and even though she actually went all the way to the airport in a different city, she wound up coming back. Apparently, her soulmate was no longer answering her text, and she took that as a sign that she should drag her ass back to where he was and fix their relationship. She was upset that he may be seeing other people, even though it seemed okay to her that she was seeing other people. Later on, she told me she had texted him and said if he blocked her, she would know that meant he wanted her to come find him. Obviously, he blocked her. Obviously, that didn't go over well with her. Apparently not. So, she moved a couple days later, and the summer was ending, and I moved back to the East Coast. I didn't hear from her for a little while, but then we started talking again through text and WhatsApp. She seemed like she was doing better. She told me she had found a roommate and was working on her art again, and just generally seemed like she was in a better place. I was happy to have my friend back and healthy, but that didn't last longer than a couple months. Eventually, her behavior started to seem erratic again. She was sending dozens of texts at a time, and they were all over the place. Several of them had to do with her soulmate and how she was still following him, even though he had called the police and blocked her. The fuck? I told her to stop, tried to get her to take her meds, and tried to reason with her a hundred times. I was on the opposite side of the country and had no way of getting in touch with her family, who I never knew much about, or friends to try and get them to help her. 
She was a kind person and a good friend when she was taking care of her mental health, and I cared about her, but I couldn't force her to take care of herself. One day, I set aside some time to call her and told her that she was overwhelming me and that she really needed to reach out to her family or someone who could help her. She told me I couldn't do that because she needed to stay with me or she would have to go back to her ex-husband. I don't think any of this is true, but she thought her ex-husband was going to have her killed or followed, that he had this entire police force in his pocket and had paid off her family to give him intel on her whereabouts and what was going on in her life. I had just moved for a job and I lived in a small studio in a big city. I had no room for anyone to stay long term and I wasn't about to do that anyways since she was starting to scare me at this point. She asked me if I was still living at my address which really freaked me out because I had never given her my address or put it anywhere online and she wouldn't tell me how she got it. I asked her to leave me alone and told her we couldn't be friends anymore unless she took some steps to get better. She obviously didn't take this well. Though I hated my tiny, cramped apartment, the reason I was drawn to it was because it had great security. It was actually on the upper floors of a hotel although the hotel rooms were much nicer than the residence, and no one was allowed through the residence elevators unless the resident had given their name to security ahead of time and the guests had to show ID. After what happened next, I loved my cramped little apartment because the staff kept me safe. It had been over a week since I had talked to her because I blocked her number and blocked her on WhatsApp. She tried texting me from four different phone numbers, using text-free, etc., but I just blocked them all and never responded. I was walking home from work one day, and I was sure I saw her across the street from my building, but it was storming out, and I didn't get a good view. I rushed upstairs and calmed myself down in my apartment. Maybe I was just being paranoid. It's a big city. Lots of people have brown hair and glasses. I'm just worried about her. But then, the phone rang. The desk was calling to see if I had forgotten to let them know I had a visitor. My heart sank. I asked them who was waiting. They said they tried asking for her name or ID, but she just walked out, and I knew it was her from the way they described her. Fucking nuts. I texted a mutual friend from over the summer. I wasn't really close with him, so we hadn't stayed in touch, but he told me she had lost it and that he had blocked her too. Apparently, she had gone back on the dating site she met her soulmate on and found someone who looked like him in my city. She was convinced it was him and had to come find him. This was a very touristy city, but there was just no way this guy had coincidentally come out here. I was sure she had gone bonkers, and I knew she was well aware of where that guy actually lived. I took a page out of her book and used a text-free number to text her that she should leave me alone and I would call the cops if she ever came near me or my building again. In retrospect, I shouldn't have contacted her at all, but I was emotional and not using my better judgment. She said she just wanted to know if I could help her find something. She texted back really fucking fast and didn't even try to hide it. Then I deleted the text-free app so she couldn't reach me again. I lived in a very crowded area, and I knew she couldn't get into my building, but I was still scared whenever I had to take public transit alone at night, or was walking through less crowded areas to get home. I had a friend who used to work for the police, but not in this city, or at the time this all happened. 
and she would drive or walk me home from work whenever she could for a while. She told me I should go ahead and report it even though they couldn't really do anything since she hadn't hurt me and nothing really happened. But I was embarrassed again. I didn't use my better judgment. I felt like it was my fault for engaging with her for so long. I knew she was mentally unstable, and I would still try to be her friend and help her. Maybe I gave her the wrong idea that I could do more for her. I ended up moving to a new city for another job after that and didn't hear from her again. I later found out the reason why was that a couple months later, she had once again gone back to Arizona and had been arrested for breaking into her soulmate's house and using his bathtub. What the fuck? They found a large knife in her car. I didn't want to go into too much detail about her stalking of that guy and what she said about him in her text because I wanted to try and focus more on my personal experience with her instead of his. But I could answer some questions in the comments if anyone has any. That's fucked up. Crazy, that, right? She is fucked up. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah, I thought so too. I was like, holy shit, dude. That's nuts. This sounds like somebody that I used to be friends with. Really? <laughs> yes. That's freaky. Yeah, like literally something she should do. She would do. Let's start the very long story. Very long. Is this a good one? Yeah. Okay. It's crazy, actually. Even crazier than sending 65,000 texts to a person yeah. breaking into their house and this using their bathtub? This one's crazy. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Um, this story is by Espignon75. Psycho former friend from high school planned to kill me because she was insane about a boy. Aren't you glad we were never like this? Man. We weren't really... I mean, we were friends in high school, but we weren't like... We were best friends sophomore year. Sophomore year, but like after that... After that, I mean, we still I texted moved, all the time, though. Yeah, after you got over the fact that I moved to Tennessee. Yeah, hurt my feelings. Didn't talk to me for six months, then texted me on my birthday and was like... No, right. that was the last time. That was when I moved to Tennessee. That was the last time we stopped talking. I, you did that when, when I lived in Tennessee, too. Did I? Mm-hmm. No, maybe the last time we stopped talking, I was just like, hey. Yeah, because it was like February when yeah, you were exactly. me. You're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, this is a story I've wanted to tell for a long time. Yes, it is very long. It is as long as it needs to be to say what I need to say. I included a TLDR at the bottom. This took place between 1995 and 2002. What's a TLDR? It's like a summary of the story. Everyone has a bad friend or two. I had an epically bad friend. If it hadn't happened to me, I would never have known this strange mental disorder was real, or that people could behave this way outside of Lifetime Channel movies. I grew up in northern Indiana. Oh, shit. I went to a large high school in the mid-90s, and my senior year, I met another student named Hannah, who had recently transferred from the main local Catholic high school in the area. That was unusual to transition so late from private, private to public school. Hannah said she had been expelled because of a fight with another student over some drama about a boy. She said the other girl had made allegations against her and accused her of attacking her. Whatever had happened, the police had been contacted and she had a restraining order placed on her by the other girl. It had forced her expulsion and that was how I came to meet her. Hannah said none of this was true. She said she never tried to hurt her. Later, I went on to college in Indiana. 
She went to college in Florida. One day, a friend of mine from the dorms ran into a guy she had known from Catholic school back in my hometown. Once he left, she told me about this incident that had happened to him where these two young girls were fighting over him about which one was his girlfriend. Neither one of them was dating him, and yet both of these girls thought they were in a secret relationship with him. The whole thing had been very strange. Then she said one of them was a girl named Hannah. Dun, dun, dun. The next summer, I was back in my hometown, and Hannah was also. I hung out with her casually. I told her what I had heard about her. She said she would tell me what really happened. She had a crush on this boy, but she had seen him talk to another student named Julie, and she became jealous. She said she was convinced that this boy, Mike, wanted to be her boyfriend. She was sure Julie must have said something bad about her. Hannah said Julie was popular and pretty and a cheerleader, and she hated everything about her, so she decided she would try to see if she could push her to commit suicide. What the fuck? Yeah. Hannah said it hadn't worked, but she had a nervous breakdown. I asked her what she had done. We went back to Hannah's house. Up in her bedroom, she pulled something out from the back of her closet. It was a set of books. One was a book on how to use dirty tricks to get revenge on people, and one was a book with a cartoon character on the front pulling their hair out, and it said in big letters, gaslighting. Oh my gosh. I know it's a common phrase now, but back in 1995, I had never heard of it. I asked Hannah what the book was about, and she said it was about how to drive someone crazy. She said it was simple. You just make them believe things aren't really true, or that things they think are real never happened. She told me what she really did to Julie a couple years back in high school. She had pretended to be friends with her. She got her phone number, and then she had started making these anonymous phone calls to her. This would have been way before cell phones were common. She had a friend from her church who had a crush on her, and she would trade sexual favors with him in exchange for him pretending to be Mike on the phone. He would get a blowjob for every time he did this for Hannah. Fake Mike would tell Julie not to talk in school so that they could keep things private. Hannah would put notes in her locker and sign Mike's name to them. Fake Mike would pl- would make plans to meet Julie at the mall or the movies and then never show up. It sounds very stupid, but they would have been 14 or 15 year old girls when this happened. Hannah said she had done something really embarrassing, but that it had worked. She had a mixtape, and she would whisper nasty little phrases like, You wanna die, or you should kill yourself between songs and had played it in her bedroom when Julie was over. Obviously, she commented on it and Hannah sat there with a straight face and said she didn't hear anything and had no idea what she was talking about. She had set it up with her brother earlier and had asked him to help her play a prank on her friend. She came into her bedroom and said he couldn't hear anything and turned around and told Julie that she must be crazy or hearing things. What the hell? Julie's parents decided to confront this boy and his family about his behavior towards their daughter. He had no idea what was going on, because her parents had confronted this boy about something he was never doing. Julie had been publicly humiliated at her high school, and everyone was talking about how she was crazy. Hannah loved every bit of it, until Julie's parents got their phone bill and decided to give it a good look. Mike had not been calling their house but somebody had been. 
They had numerous anonymous phone calls. They checked it out and found out they were all coming from Hannah's home phone number. Julie confronted Hannah about it at school, and that was when something violent happened between the two of them in the stairwell. Julie said Hannah had started screaming at her that Mike was her secret boyfriend. Hannah was very angry about that. She said Julie made that part up to try to get back at her and embarrass her for what she had done. She said Julie was exaggerating about what happened in the stairwell, and it had been an accident. She said she never tried to push her over the railing. She had merely bumped into her. What? Hannah wasn't embarrassed about it. She was proud of it. The only thing that upset her was that she had been caught. But she said that most of the people at her Catholic school still thought that Julie was crazy, so she considered it something of a victory. Hannah didn't have anything to say in her defense, just that when she liked a boy, she would do anything to be with him. Fucking crazy. That summer, Hannah started dating a guy named Derek. Every time he saw her, she told me tales about their wild and crazy sex life and how much he was in love with her. Hannah said it was a secret affair, and they were sneaking around behind his girlfriend's back. We saw him once at a party, and he screamed at Hannah to stay away from him and leave him and his girl alone. Someone had been making strange, anonymous phone calls to him and his girlfriend. He paid to have the number traced back and found out it was Hannah. Hannah admitted that she had been trying to break them up because he was taking too long to do it himself, but that she had overplayed it and now he was angry and had broken things off with her. She was depressed after Derek, so I took her out to a bar. Hannah started flirting with this much older guy in his 40s who was sitting by himself. She had recently purchased a cell phone. This would have been in 96 or 97, when they were still kind of new and novel. The next thing I knew, she had, she has this phone out, and I thought she was giving the old guy her phone number. Instead, he asked her what she wanted him to say. She typed a phone number in, handed the guy her phone, and he made disgusting comments to whoever answered about how he was having sex with this guy's girlfriend and commenting on what a whore she was. He hung up and started laughing and handed the phone back to Hannah. Hannah gave him a $20 bill and said the girl was a bitch and deserved it for stealing her boyfriend. She was paying complete strangers to anonymous, anonymously call people she hated on her cell phone and recite some prearranged script to spread rumors about them. I ran into a mutual friend later in the summer and mentioned that Derek had broken things off with Hannah. She gave me a very funny look and said that maybe there had never been any relationship to break off. A year later, we were both temporarily living back with our parents and sort of adrift. Hannah had been kicked out of her dorm over an accusation made by another student and never completed her degree. She had started hanging out with some old friends from high school. One of those former high school friends was a young woman named Kelly, who Hannah had been pretty good friends with. Something had happened between the two of them because Hannah went on and on about how much she hated her. It had something to do with Kelly's new boyfriend, Dan. Hannah insisted she was using him in some bizarre plot to make another man jealous and was worried that she would hurt him because she found out about an STD that she had. 
I drove by her house one night and there were two police cars out front. I went home and called her and she said she couldn't talk. I went over and saw her the next day. I thought their house had been robbed or something. No, the police had been there to talk to her about an incident that had been reported. Mm-hmm. Hannah was upset. She said that she had to tell the police that she had smoked weed and had gotten high because Kelly had made an accusation about her. Hannah said it was an accident and a misunderstanding. Hannah swore she hadn't been trying to hurt her. The day after Hannah told me about how much she hated Kelly, apparently she had called her up and said she wanted to talk to her about something. She and another friend had shown up and the three of them had gone out to some local overlook to smoke a joint. The other girl waited down below for the two of them to talk privately. Hannah had asked Kelly to look at something, and when she turned her back, Kelly said Hannah grabbed her and tried to push her off the ledge. They were about a hundred feet up in the air, and she would most likely have been killed by the fall. Kelly said they fought back and forth. She regained her balance and had took off screaming about what Hannah had tried to do. Hannah said it was all a misunderstanding. It was an accident. She had been trying to show her something, but then she had lost her balance because she was high from the marijuana and had grabbed Kelly to stabilize herself, not to push her off the edge. She said Kelly had almost fallen off because she had hysterically overreacted. Kelly had been very upset and insisted that Hannah had done it on purpose, and she said that it was because she was jealous over her relationship with Dan. She said it was obvious to everyone that Hannah was obsessed with him. What Kelly had not done, however, was tell the police that they had smoked a joint right before this happened, and when Hannah did, the police said that they didn't have enough evidence for any kind of case. They weren't happy with Kelly for omitting that part of the account. That was it for Hannah and most of her high school friends, or at least for a couple of years. Kelly stuck to her version of what happened, and her friends sided with her. People began talking about the strange rumors that had followed Hannah around since high school. I thought it was suspicious, but I couldn't bring myself to believe that she tried to kill another woman. I thought that sort of thing only happened in the movies, not small towns in Indiana. I did not, however, want to be friends with her. She was an embarrassment to be around. She had almost no friends left in town at that point. She called me up to tell me she had decided she needed a change and she was going to pursue a different career and move to Minneapolis to make that happen. She moved in 1998, and I honestly thought I would never see her again. I wish I hadn't. She called me about a year and a half later. She said she was doing really well, and that the move had been good for her. She said she had made friends, and she had met a boy, and was completely in love. She said this was the guy she was going to marry. His name was Dan, and she told me that he was the guy that had gotten her interested in punk rock and heroin. I kind of paused when she said that. I wasn't any kind of angel in my 20s, but I never even dabbled in hard stuff like that, and it didn't sound very good. Hannah insisted it wasn't a habit. She said it was amazing and easy to control as long as you were careful. This was a complete change in lifestyle and scene. Before this, she had been something of a hippie chick, but that was all gone now. At that point, her life revolved around hair, punk rock, heroin, and Dan. She wanted to come back for a visit. 
We went to the mall and she stopped at a kiosk and said she wanted to buy a cell phone. She lived eight hours away in a completely different state with a completely different area code. We got into a small argument about it. Back in 2000, cell phones were purchased and billed from your local area code and you paid through the nose if you were roaming. Hannah said to just drop it because she had done her research and it would be fine. She bought the phone and listed her boyfriend, Dan, as the main user on the registration. She left, and I noticed she had left her curling iron behind, and I thought I would surprise her by calling her new cell phone. She had set it up at my house, and I got the number from the caller ID. No one picked up. Instead, it went to an answering machine for Dan. The same Dan that had been dating Kelly years earlier, and the same Dan that Hannah had been accused of being obsessed with. There was no doubt about who I was. I hung up and I wondered why she had lied to me about who her boyfriend really was. A couple of minutes later, Hannah called me back on her original cell phone. She played it off as a coincidence that I had just called that other number. She said she, said she had run into hometown Dan and his friends and he had lost his phone, so Hannah had done him a favor and given him the one she had just purchased. I said how strange it was that she would buy a phone for her boyfriend, Dan, only to run into someone else with the same name and give it away instead. Dan's real name is very common, probably one of the most common names for men of my generation, and Hannah joked about how many different people she knew with that exact name. A couple of months later, she called. She wanted to visit again in the summer. No matter what she said about being control of the heroin use, it was very obvious that it had become a full-fledged habit. Things had taken a turn in her life. Her boyfriend, Dan, had moved to Chicago. Hannah said that he was still in love with her and they were still together, but something that had happened with his ex-girlfriend and they were taking a break and only seeing one another privately. Hannah said he was trying to protect her. According to Hannah, his ex-girlfriend had refused to accept their breakup and had been stalking Dan for months. It was one of the reasons he had moved. She had taken an overdose of heroin and had tried to commit suicide when she found out that Hannah and Dan were together. That was the reason that they had decided that they had to keep their relationship secret. That was why Hannah was really in town. He was going to be coming later to join her and they had to set up a get-together. I wanted to meet him, but Hannah said he wouldn't act like her boyfriend when other people were around. I started to question her. She got angry and said she wouldn't let me meet him because I wouldn't understand their relationship. We got into a fight. I ordered her out of my house and made it clear that I wanted nothing to do with her. Her mother called me about a year later. She said that Hannah was living with them in Atlanta because something very bad had happened in Minneapolis. Hannah didn't have any friends left. Her mother straight up begged me to please forgive so she could have someone to talk to. She said Hannah had spent three months in rehab and was off the heroin, but emotionally not doing well. She said she had to make a trip back to Minneapolis to take care of some things and pick up some of her stuff. Her mother was worried that being back there and around her old friends would trigger her to want to use again. She said it was very important that Hannah did not relapse. If she did, the consequences would be severe. She wanted me to go with her. I said I would.
Hannah wouldn't tell me what happened. She just said that someone had almost died and it had been an accident, but it had still been her fault. She drove into town to pick me up for our trip up to Minneapolis, but said we had to stop somewhere first. We went to the old bar downtown that we used to hang out in when she had lived in town. She said she had to meet someone. Some young woman walked in, and Hannah walked over to her and hugged her and started crying. She was apologizing all over the place and kept telling her she needed her to realize that it had been an accident. The woman said she forgave her, but that her life had been difficult since what happened, and she could not have anything to do with Hannah anymore and could no longer be friends with her. Hannah asked if she had ever spoken to her ex-boyfriend and had a chance to work things out with him. She said no, he was mad at her, and he refused to talk to her. Hannah said he had a new cell phone, and she gave her the number just in case she changed her mind and wanted to get a hold of him. She left. I was sitting there, totally confused by what I had just witnessed. I was really uncomfortable with what I had heard. I asked Hannah if the ex-boyfriend she was talking about was hometown Dan. She said no, someone else that I had never met. Hannah said she and her Dan had broken up because he was still using heroin, and she said it was too painful to talk about him. She said it was so painful that when we got to Minneapolis to, bring, to please not bring him up. She said her friends knew not to mention him around her, and she asked me not to also. We got to Minneapolis, and the young woman we were staying with turned out to be one of Hannah's former roommates. That is when I found out what had really happened and what Hannah had been refusing to talk about. It turned out that girl from the bar had been the other roommate, the one that had almost died because of something that Hannah did. Uh-oh. We settled in, and Hannah said that she could explain what happened a year ago. A year ago? That was the first time I realized that this had happened much longer in the past than I had thought. The former roommate said that she was happy that Hannah was clean, but she needed her to explain why she had tried to kill the other girl. What? Those were her words. She wasn't calling it an accident. She said she was there, she saw it, and Hannah had done that to her on purpose, and she wanted to know why. What? This is what she described. Hannah had a friend from Indiana that had broken up with her boyfriend, Dan, after Hannah had told her that she found out he was cheating on her and had gotten another woman pregnant. Hannah invited her to, to live with her up in Minneapolis to get away from him and start over. She had no idea that Hannah was a heroin user. She did not like Minneapolis. She had experienced a run of bad luck the couple of weeks she had been there, and even though Hannah kept trying to convince her to stick it out to see if she would like it, she had decided she was going to leave and go back home. She regretted her breakup with Dan. Um, she wanted to talk to him and see if they could work through it. They had been together for almost two years. She was worried because she had lost touch with him. Hannah had been able to track down his phone number for her th through some mutual friends, but no matter how many times she called or how much she begged, he refused to answer her calls or call her back when she left messages. She was upset and told Hannah that she was going to stop by his apartment to see him on her way back to Indiana. She was supposed to be leaving within a day. Hannah kept insisting that she would like heroin if she would just try a little bit and had been pressuring her very hard to join in with everyone else. The roommate was angry about that. 
She said Hannah knew she was scared and didn't even want to try it. Hannah had promised her that she would be safe and promised her that it would be a small dose. Hannah said she knew what she was doing. She gave in. Hannah bought the heroin and she bought a lot more than normal, which she said was for a party later. She prepared the needles and she had just used a small amount. Instead, she had used all that she had bought, which turned out to be way more than was necessary to kill all of them. Hannah had given the girl the injection, and she slumped over immediately and stopped breathing. Hannah had then moved on to the other roommate and told her everything was fine in the other room and that she was enjoying herself. She tried to convince her to take her dose, but she wanted to check on the other girl first. Hannah had walked over and had an imaginary conversation with the young woman, who was completely unconscious and tried to convince the other roommate that she was fine. She went to check on her herself and immediately saw that she wasn't even breathing, panicked, and started screaming at Hannah about why she was lying. She ran for the phone. Hannah ran after her. She dialed 911. Hannah grabbed the phone and hung it up. They called back and she said it had been a mistake and they were fine. Hannah wouldn't let her near the phone and kept trying to tell her that she was being hysterical and that everything was okay. Hannah tried to pin her down and force the needle on her, and she fought back and ran out of the apartment and down the hall to a neighbor's. They called 911. When the paramedics got there, the girl was clinically dead. They worked on her and got a heartbeat and transferred her to a local hospital in a comatose state. She lived, but for a while, it wasn't clear if she would pull through. Hannah told the police she didn't know why she had done it. After talking with a lawyer, she said it was because of heroin psychosis and that she had been temporarily insane at the time. She agreed to a long-term rehab stay and a year of drug testing and probation. After that, the charges against her were dropped. That had been the reason that it was so important Hannah did not relapse, because she would have been looking at prison time. Hannah said it had been a strange temporary hallucination that had caused her behavior and that she never meant to hurt her and the whole thing had been an accident and a misunderstanding. The same excuse she always used, of course. I'm going to spell this out since the morons who worked for Minneapolis Police Department were too stupid to realize this 20 years ago. Hannah was obsessed with this girl's boyfriend, Dan. She had been obsessed with him for years. She had developed a detailed and deranged fantasy that the two of them were in a secret relationship together because she has a peculiar and somewhat rare psychiatric condition called erotomania, or Declermabalt syndrome. She believed that this young woman was standing in the way of their romance, and so she integrated herself and pretended to be her friend so that she could find a way to get close enough to her to get her out of the way. She successfully managed to spread rumors and interfere in their relationship enough that the two of them broke up and then Hannah invited this young woman to Minneapolis to isolate her from her other friends and control what information she had access to. This was the year 2000. We didn't have text message or Facebook back then for keeping in touch with people. She lulled her into a false sense of friendship and security 
so she could manipulate her and go close enough to her to hurt her. When she realized she was still in love with Dan and wanted to talk to him, Hannah realized that she would eventually find out that the rumors she had been told were not true, and Hannah was the source. She purchased a cell phone in Indiana and made a recording of Dan's answering ma machine message so that she could impersonate him on the phone, and so the young woman would believe she was in contact with him. She never knew that Dan never received the messages. Hannah was just using that to spy on her. When she said she was going back home and show up to see if Dan would talk to her in person, Hannah knew that meant she would find out she had given her a fake phone number and that she had gone to extreme lengths to prevent her from speaking to him, and it would have been obvious why. She tried to talk her into trying heroin because she planned on killing her and her other roommate because that would be a good way to make it appear to be an accident. Hannah was about to have her obsessions with Dan, her delusional beliefs about him, and her bizarre mental disorder exposed, and she knew that. She knew for at least a day or more before the incident, which is why it is clear that her actions were premeditated, because her motive was. All of this would have been remarkably easy to figure out if the police had contacted Dan, and if they had taken a look at Hannah's phone records. Phone harassment has always been her favorite hobby. Instead, they treated it just like the other 999 overdoses they have to respond to every month and gave Hannah the old rehab or prison option. Since her family could afford a lawyer and a three-month rehab stay, that was the option she took. The police never investigated her for anything, never contacted the man Dan at the center of this, and never took any serious look into her background. It wasn't an accident. It was an attempted murder, and a pretty easy one to prove at that. Instead, the police totally dropped the ball, and because of their incompetence, she was allowed to get completely away with it. By the way, just in case any idiots who work for the Minneapolis Minneapolis Police Department ever read this, there is no statute of limitations on first-degree attempted murder. At the time, I didn't know any of this. I was trying to act as a support system for a former friend who was suicidal on the cusp of a heroin relapse. I was suspicious, but anytime I asked Hannah questions, she just said it was too painful to talk about or would guilt trip me about not respecting her boundaries. She had sworn to me that this young woman had never been in any relationship with Dan from her hometown that she had known years earlier. I returned to Indiana, and Hannah returned to her parents in Atlanta, and I didn't talk to her for a while. She called later and wanted to visit her old hometown again. Once again, I let her stay with me. Mistake, I bet. We ran into Dan. He had moved to Chicago, but just happened to be back in town that weekend. I hadn't seen him in years. Hannah had contacted him to get together. She spent the whole afternoon trying to pull him aside to talk to him, but instead he made it clear that he had only shown up because he wanted to see me. He had broken up with Kelly years earlier, but I thought he had a long-term long girlfriend since then. Dan said she had left him a year ago and just disappeared. He had called her repeatedly, but she had cut him off. He was nice to me, he was handsome, he was lots of fun to be around, and he asked me out. 
We made plans to meet up the next day. I saw him at a bar, and he turned around and walked out the door and wouldn't even look at me. I was upset and confused. Hannah was super sympathetic. She apologized for not telling me what he was like and said he had this weird thing with lying to girls and playing with their emotions by pretending to like them. It wasn't like I had never been lied to by a boy before, but this felt strange. A week later, my student loan came through, and I decided to go back to college and finish my degree. I moved a couple hours away. The first person that called me was Hannah. Once again, she wanted to come visit me. She insisted that she had gone out and got me a surprise and needed to give it to me in person. She said she had something really important to talk to me about, and she said that it would sound weird, but she asked me to promise her that I wouldn't tell anyone she was coming to see me. I humored her. She showed up at my apartment, and when she walked in, the first thing she asked me was if I had told anyone she would be there. At first, I said no. She said that she had something for me and reached into her purse. She paused and said that she just wanted to make sure that no one knew she was there. I was frustrated, and I kind of offhand said that no one besides my mom and best friend... Relatable. (laughs) Hannah got furious. She was angry that I had told anyone she would be there and refused to show me what she had bought as a surprise for me. She went and locked it in her club compartment because she said she didn't want me to snoop in her stuff and find it. She kept saying she wanted to talk about something, but the time wasn't right. She decided to go home a day early. Then, one day a couple weeks later, out of the blue, she just showed up on my doorstep one evening. I was on the phone with my best friend who, by the way, went to the same Catholic high school as Hannah, and while not close friends with her, knew who she was. I was talking to her when I saw Hannah walk up to my front door. It was an eight-hour drive from Atlanta to Indiana. I got up and opened the door, and I saw the phone up to my ear. When I opened it, Hannah had her head down, and she had one hand inside her purse. I said her name, and she looked up at me and pulled something purple from her purse. She saw I was on the phone and swiveled around and put whatever she had been holding in her hand back in her bag. She was acting very strange, and she was shaking, and I was worried. I asked her to come inside. At that point, I was convinced that she was back on heroin and that had been the secret she had been trying to talk to me about for months. She said that she was upset about a boy and needed to talk to me. She said she had something that she wanted to show me, and she reached into her purse and pulled out a handgun. It was a purple and black revolver, and I realized from the color that that's what she had pulled from her purse when I had first answered the door. She said that she had been checking to make sure the safety was on, and I was lucky that she hadn't accidentally shot me because I had startled her. She said the gun was because she was back on heroin and scared of the part of town she had to go in order to buy it. I didn't know back then, but revolvers don't have safeties. She told me about a musician in Atlanta that she had met and she was frustrated because he had a girlfriend and she hadn't been able to find a way to get him to pay attention to her. She wanted me to tell her what I had done to Dan so she could use it on this guy. She told me he was still talking about me months later and she wanted to know why he was still interested even though we hadn't talked since the previous summer. 
From my point of view, he wasn't. He had ghosted me months earlier. Hannah kept insisting that I must have done something to him. It was like she was implying that I had hypnotized him or something ludicrous, and she wanted me to tell her. It clearly explained that I hadn't done anything, and he had ignored me and then never returned my phone calls after I tried calling him. She cried and drank for a couple more hours and then turned around and drove eight hours back to Atlanta in the middle of the night. Just for the record, Hannah was the one who gave me Dan's phone number. After this, something very strange seemed to get set into motion. I got a call from an anonymous number, and when I answered, it was Hannah, who said someone wanted to talk to me, and she flipped me over to a three-way call with someone else. It was Dan's roommate and best friend in Chicago, and he started screaming at me, asking me why I was playing games with Dan and messing with him. He said he was going out of his mind, and I needed to call him back and stop whatever it was that I had been doing to him. I told him... I didn't know what he was talking about. Dan had never called me, and I had tried to call him, and then we were disconnected. Then another anonymous call that was really Hannah with another three-way call, and another group of boys who started yelling at me and telling me they would kill me for what I had done to Dan. Then another disconnected line before I could ask them what they were talking about. Then I called Hannah to find out what the hell was going on. It was the craziest and most disturbing conversation I have ever had with another person. At first, she just kept saying that I had hurt Dan and I could not ever talk to him again or have any contact with him. None of it made any sense since this was about a guy that had refused to return my phone calls and had ignored me for months. Hannah started getting very upset and kept saying that I knew what I had done. I just wouldn't admit it. She said that Dan hated me and had never wanted anything to do with me, but that I was doing things to him to make him say that and pretend that he liked me instead of her. I had no idea what the hell was going on. She said that Dan was her secret boyfriend, and that he was in love with her, and had been in love with her for years. She said that the two of them had been together since they were teenagers, and that I knew it but was pretending not to. I asked her how she could have been his girlfriend when I knew of other girls he had dated. She started screeching that those weren't real relationships. He was only pretending to like them, and when he talked about them, he was really talking about her. But other people kept doing things to him so that he couldn't tell her directly how he felt, but she knew. She insisted that he found ways to let her know that he was really thinking about her. She said that all of his friends respected their privacy, which was why they would play along when he pretended he was dating other people. She kept insisting he was in love with her and no one else. She said that she was sick of people pretending to be her friend and then stabbing her in the back by going after her boyfriend, and she said she would not put up with anyone coming in between them and she would not let anyone hurt him. She said I was forcing him to forget how he really felt, and that it had hurt him not to be with her, and she wouldn't let me hurt him. I realized that she wasn't making any sense, and that she was totally psychotic. I told her to never contact me again, and I hung up. All I could think about was how she had pulled a gun out of her purse the last time she had shown up at my apartment by surprise. 
She had given a fatal overdose of heroin to another woman and had been accused by another of luring them to an edge and trying to push her off. The one thing we all had in common was Dan. I called the number I had for Dan. It was disconnected. I thought about that weird situation with the cell phone she had purchased a couple of years earlier. I found that old number in my address book and called it, except this time it wasn't Dan's voice on the answering machine. It was mine. <sighs> the psycho bitch had made a recording of my voicemail and had put it on a cell phone that she owned and once I discovered that, pretty much everything fell very clearly into place. That was what had happened to that girl in Minneapolis, and that was why Dan had spent the last several months thinking he was contacting me. There was no relationship with Dan, it was all in Hannah's head, and she was frantically trying to keep other women away from him to protect her fantasy from imploding. My goodness. Hannah is psychotic. It is a mental disorder called erotomania, and it is a fixed delusional belief that another person is secretly in love with you. Not everyone who has it will be violent, but some people are. In some cases, other people are used in strange psychotic dramas and vicious smear campaigns that are aimed at trying to rearrange reality so that it conforms with the delusions inside their head. The people that are perceived as standing in their way can be victims of extreme violence. Hannah showed up the next day at my apartment, screaming at me to let her in. I would not, and I was getting ready to call the police when she started crying and saying that Dan had killed himself, and then she walked away, and that was the last time I ever saw her. I spoke to my parents, who told me that I had received several phone calls to their house from people letting me know the same thing. I changed my phone number to keep her from contacting me. I contacted the police in Indiana, who said if she showed up again, that they could arrest her for felony intimidation but not for anything she had done months earlier. I contacted the police in Minneapolis, but I knew very little information, only Hannah's name, not where or when it happened. I asked repeatedly to please be allowed to speak to someone, but the woman on the phone said they weren't interested in talking to me. I moved so much she wouldn't know where I lived. I cut myself off from anyone from my hometown who I thought might know her, so nothing could ever get back to her about where I lived. The last thing I heard from her was stalking some new guy down in Atlanta. I would have been more than happy to meet the bitch in a courtroom, but unfortunately, the law is nothing like you see on TV. So unless I ever have the privilege of sitting in on her sentencing hearing, Hannah from Indiana, let's not meet again. Bro! Bro. That just fucked my shit up. What the fuck? Yeah. The fact that this is a real story. Mm-hmm. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. I All feel right. so bad for that guy, though. Yeah, me too. Last That's story, so we can move on. Okay. I know it's been, like, hour and 20 minutes, but this one's really good. It's only, like, two and a half pages long, so. Okay. This story is by Pestby678, the man on my patio. It says, warning, long posts, but I recommend you read it all. Okay, so this happened when I was around nine years old. I'm 25 now. And it's something I will never forget. It gives me goosebumps to this day. I live in a terraced house, four houses combined. 
and my neighbors and I each have our own little patio. There's a small road 10 meters from my yard where people do their Sunday walks and so on. Only a small fence separates my small yard and the patio from that road. I live in a pretty crowded area with several of these terraced houses spread around in my neighborhood, so seeing people walking on that road is pretty normal for me. Seeing random people standing on my patio is not. When I was nine, I usually got home from school about an hour before my mom got home from work. I live maybe 50 meters away from school, so my mom figured I was mature enough to be home alone for an hour before she got home. This one day, I got home from school. I did the usual thing, which was make sure I locked the front door and double checked that the back door leading to the patio was also locked. I was nine. Being alone was a little scary, even though it was in the middle of the day and only for one hour. I then rushed to my room upstairs to play as much PlayStation as possible before my mom came home and made me do homework. While playing, I heard this noise coming from outside my window. My room was located one floor over the patio with the view to the road I told you about before. It was kind of like the sound of a cat, but my cat had been missing for over three months. Hope sparked, and I thought, OMG, did he finally come back? I ran down the stairs to check if it was my cat, but the sight that met me gives me goosebumps just writing this. There was a guy standing on my patio, a tall guy with black hair covering half of his eyes, making him look like a male version of the ring woman or something. I could hear him making high-pitched sounds, almost like a cat meowing. A brown liquid was running down from his mouth, and I could see him spitting out my dad's stomped cigarettes. He was actually eating from the ashtray. I was frozen observing this, eventually snapped out of it, and screamed so loud that the man must have heard it. He didn't react. He kept on eating from the ashtray. I ran upstairs to my room, locked the door, and called my mom, who then called the cops. I've never been more terrified in my life. Laying in bed under my sheets shivering with fear as I hear these creepy high-pitched noises from the guy eating cigarette stomps from the ashtray on my patio. I kind of blacked out for a moment because the next thing I remember is the police arriving on the road by my yard. I hear them talking to the guy and saying stuff like, What are you doing? Get over here or we will come down and arrest you. And so on. He didn't respond, but the high-pitched noises were more frequent and louder. I decided to look through the window, feeling safe now that the cops were there. I could see two police officers standing by my fence, one man and one woman. I did not see the creepy man, however, because he was standing directly one story under me in my field of view. The police jumped the fence, and I remember hearing the creepy guy screaming louder than anything I've heard before. He charged the female police officer with full force and fucking knocked her out cold. The male officer then immediately tased the guy, leaving him shaking on the ground, screaming still. The policeman struggled to keep him on the ground while putting handcuffs on him, but eventually made it. After a while, he managed to wake up the female police officer who seemed to be badly hurt. He called for backup and an ambulance, and then he sees me standing in the window above him. The expression on my face must have been something else, because he just looked at me and said, 
I sure as hell hope you didn't see all that. I started to cry. By this time, the neighbors started to arrive, wondering what the hell was going on. One of my neighbors, an elderly woman, made me come down, and she took care of me until my mom came back home. The police took the creepy guy with them in the car and left. Before they left, they promised to come back and talk to us about what happened. This is where the story takes an unexpected turn. The male police officer came back later that night and sat down with me and my mom to talk. He explained that the guy on my patio was actually diagnosed with severe autism. He had escaped a facility where mentally challenged people lived, located around 5 kilometers from where I live. He explained that the guy had actually been living in my house 5 years ago, but he had been forced to move when his mom, his only caretaker, died. The poor guy probably thought he would find his mom in my house. He missed the routines, and he missed living there with his mom. The police had to move him from the house that time five years ago because he was extremely strong. From what I heard, he had extreme tensions in the body because of autism, making his muscles grow stronger and stronger throughout the years. This was the reason he reacted the way he did when the police came this day. Still frightened, I told the police officer that he needed to make sure this would never happen again. He promised it wouldn't. After a few sleepless nights, my life goes back to normal. The years went by and the guy didn't come back until one year ago. At this time, my mom and dad had moved out. I bought the house from them and I'm still living there today. I was enjoying my morning coffee on the patio when I see this random guy stopping on the road by my fence. He just stands there, looking at me. I look at him and give him a nod, and then I hear the high-pitched noises. Holy shit, it's him. His hair had turned gray, but the high-pitched sounds made me realize. My heart started racing, and I instantly remembered the reason why he was back. I realized that he must have managed to escape again, because I kept my cool a bit longer than when I was nine. I started to realize how sorry I felt for the guy. Sixteen years later, and he was back to look for his mom, I decided to carefully ask him if he wanted to come down to the patio. He instantly jumped the fence. I started to think he would knock me out like he did that police officer. He didn't. He smiled. He looked at me and smiled. I offered him to sit down. He didn't respond. I offered him to come inside. He started laughing. We went inside. His face lit up. Pure joy. He was home. It reminded him of the life he had with his mom. It almost made me tear up. All of a sudden, he sat down in my couch, turned on my TV, and switched directly to the cartoons. I observed him for a while, but he was just completely focused on the cartoons. I just wanted him to enjoy the moment, so I didn't say anything to him. I realized I had to call the facility to let them know. The caretakers arrived ten minutes later. After a lot of convincing, he got back up, crying, and then went back to the facility. I called the facility two days later. We made a deal. Mm -hmm. His name is Tom, and I now consider Tom my friend. Every Sunday from the day he returned, Tom and his caretakers visit me to watch cartoons. They say it's the highlight of his week. It makes my heart warm. Now, for several years, my thoughts were, 
Let's not meet guy on my patio eating from the ashtray. Now my thoughts are, let's meet every Sunday to watch cartoons. My friend, Tom. That's so sweet. I oh know. Oh my goodness, I, I love know. that. Yeah, I had to end on a good note. Oh, I loved that. I didn't like the last story, but I loved that story. <laughs> I mean, I did like the last story. but Yeah, anyway. it was crazy. That is such a cute story. Oh my goodness. I want to be friends with Tom. I know. He seems like a nice guy, don't he? <laughs> he does. That was good. Yeah. That was a good you. episode. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. That was, I had never heard of that Reddit forum before. Yeah. So I like that a lot. Me too. Well, nice. Good job. If you guys got this far and decided to listen all the way through, thanks for listening. It's a long one, but it's a good one. Yeah. Go subscribe to our Patreon. Link in the show notes. Yep. If you want to see some, like, am I the asshole reactions. That will be already up if you're listening to this. Yep, it sure will. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. See ya. Bye.